Well, good morning. As Pastor Ben said, I am Pastor Danny. I am one of the pastors on staff here. And as always, I am so excited to be before you this morning. I'm doubly excited because our series deals with one of my favorite topics, eating. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It doesn't, doesn't, well, no, I'm not kidding about that being my favorite topic, but <laughs> I am kidding about that being our series topic. It's not specifically about eating, but it's about preparing your hearts for the holidays. And last week at Camp Marin, <laughs> Pastor Ben helped us to see that the starting point for preparing our hearts for the holidays has less to do with what we do in our house and who comes, but it actually begins on the inside. He shared that our hearts must be wrapped up in God's love so that we might wrap those that we come into contact with with that same love. So today, I wanna take it a step further. I want us to talk about the practical side of what it looks like to prepare our hearts for the holidays. What it looks like. How do we get to a state of love? Because if your family's like mine, there are times when some family members can make you... Hmm. They can cause you to want to, let's just say this. You want to wrap them up in something. <laughs> Love is not always it. <laughs> but I pray that by the end of this sermon, we'll be able to recognize that God's love is invited for everyone. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, I thank you. I first thank you for the opportunity to speak your word, God. Thank you for choosing me to do your work. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight. God, I pray that our hearts would be open, that we would be able to receive what it is that you're saying to us. And as Pastor Ben said, that we would be willing to not leave the same, but to leave changed, transformed, and ready to continue to do the work that you've called us to do. So God, I pray that you would have your way in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I'm just going to pull this up some. Or maybe not. The title of my sermon is, we're going to need a bigger table. We're going to need a bigger table. We're going to take a look at three scriptures. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to take a look at three scriptures. So earmark them as you find them. Each one will serve as a stake for my message this morning. We're going to take a look at Mark chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. We're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 37. And finally, we'll look at Luke chapter 5, verse 16. And those three scriptures are listed behind me. And as we go through them, they'll also be listed for you to see as well. 
So when I think about preparing my heart for the holidays, I think about hospitality or being hospitable. In the simplest of terms, just being nice. Now, having been born in the South, hospitality is my thing. It's in my DNA. It's definitely in my husband's DNA. When people come to our house, they know what I mean. See, he goes over and above to make sure that people feel comfortable in our home. I mean, he does everything but set the thermostat to their preferred temperature. (laughs) He is hospitable, for sure. Now, when we meet people, we're still nice and kind, but it's something about when people come into your home that you innately become more than just nice. It's because hospitality is felt at its highest peak when you come inside someone's home. Relationships amongst people blooms when we welcome each other into our personal space. When you're in someone's home, you tend to relax. You let the guard down. You allow yourself to experience them in a more deeper way. Maybe that's why, in my opinion, the two most important pieces of furniture in your house is the couch and the dinner table. Because it's the two places where relationship happens, where you can eat and sit. When I think about preparing my heart for the holidays and hospitality, though, I can't help but to consider the example of Jesus. See, Jesus interacted with people constantly. And a good number of those people, he interacted with them in their homes. 2 Timothy 2.16, and I'm going to read it in a New Living Translation. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what is true and to make us recognize or realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So remember, Jesus was both fully God and fully man. So he understands what it's like to interact with people. And because he understands, he's given us an example of how to prepare our hearts and be hospitable at our own levels of faith. Now, I say our own levels of faith because we are all different. We all have different experiences, and those different experiences cause different reactions on different levels. See, God knows our limits, and so do we. So my message isn't about forcing you to go somewhere that you're not physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually able to do. Trust me, I have my own limits. I know. What I am asking is that we would take an internal look at our spiritual table and decide if we've limited the seats at our table or is God calling us to get a bigger table. So as we prepare our hearts for the holidays and look at the example of Jesus, we can consider who Jesus extended the invitation to or his guest list. Mark chapter two, 
verses 15 to 17, says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So as I stated, I love the holidays. And in my family, coming together was important. Doing so with good food made it even better. My favorite holiday has to be Thanksgiving. It's because it's the only holiday that I can do three things unashamedly. Eat, sleep, and binge watch Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) In my family, the holidays highlighted things that we love to do. I just loved it. And having people over for dinner is a family tradition in our house. More because people, making people feel at home, comfortable, gave my family joy. And the easiest way to do so is just to invite them over for dinner. Now, I grew up seeing this example through my grandmother. My grandmother invited any and everyone she could find to our house for dinner, especially on Sundays. Sunday dinner was, and still is, a family tradition. On any given Sunday, you would find Mr. Jerry from the corner market, the kids from the rec center, the whole church choir in our house eating and having a good time. During the holidays, all this was just enhanced. And I enjoyed laughing and creating memories, looking back at old photo albums, listening to funny stories, just eating. (laughs) And as my grandmother got up in age, my Uncle James, my favorite uncle, he, began, he started doing the majority of the cooking. Everybody else just kind of brought side dishes. Some people I often questioned why they were invited, though. You see, my grandparents, they were people collectors. Everyone knew them. Mustache Joe's, what they called my grandfather, and Miss Charlene, the candy lady. That was my grandmother. They were the parents of the city. They cared for and about the entire community. They helped in more ways than I could ever count. And the most prevalent way was when they would see some people down on their luck, they would invite them to dinner. Family dinner to me in our house felt less like family dinner and more like the local soup kitchen. (laughs) Interestingly, my grandmother would invite all these people over. She would pull out the good plates, put tablecloths on all the main dining tables, and what she told me I would not be sitting at. (laughs) My aunt would even make all her best cakes and pies. I mean, they were laying it out as if the president was coming. Not 
random people from the town. I can tell you how many times I complained. It was so crowded. People were everywhere. Everywhere you turned, there was nowhere to sit and nowhere to stand. Oh, and my uncle, uh, every single time he'd see someone come through the door, he would say, hey, pull up a chair. There are no chairs. Pull up, the ch pull up a chair, grab a plate, get you something to eat. That was constantly being said over and over in our house. And guess what? I became the waitress and the maid working overtime. I was clearing plates, getting refills, bringing two and three helpings of my favorite pie. And the worst part is, I was only eight. <laughs> At eight years old, I felt like I had the worst life of all. I can remember hearing kids call my grandmother grandma. Oh, I would get so in trouble, I would get in trouble. Because every time I would hear someone say, hey grandma, I would scream, that's not your grandmother. <laughs> I would get so upset. Because in my mind, they didn't belong here. Until one time, I overheard these kids from the rec center, or from church actually, saying how much fun they were having. I saw a man in tears thanking my grandfather for giving him a job on his truck. I saw my aunt praying with a lady who seemed to be having a hard time. I realized that our home had become a house of hope. It was my job not to add to what their heart was at, but to add to joy that filled our home. So one year, I decided to put on a variety show performance. <laughs> I sang and danced till I fell asleep. Do you know, even to this day, I go back home, people who knew me then, they say, do you remember that dance you did? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. See, my grandmother knew that I may not have saw them as important, but she knew someone was coming that was important. It wasn't the president. No, my grandmother was preparing for Jesus. See, the Bible says where two or three are gathered, he is in the midst. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So my grandmother was preparing the table so that people could receive the gift of Jesus. See, in Mark 2, soon after calling Matthew to follow him, Jesus ate a meal with many tax collectors and sinners in Matthew's home. See, Matthew was a tax collector, and these were his friends and his acquaintances who were now spending time with Jesus. And as Jesus' ministry grew, so did his popularity among the social outcasts of the city. Now that Matthew was a part of Jesus' inner circle, Naturally, Jesus was spending time with those people who were in Matthew's inner circle. See, Mark chapter 2, verse 17 says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, if Jesus was to reach the lost, 
he knew he had to have some contact with them. Whereas the Pharisees wrote people off simply because of their professions or their past, by sitting at Matthew's dinner table, Jesus may have been breaking some societal taboos, but his presence there showed that he looked beyond culture and saw their need. He looked past what they brought to the table and he looked at the people's hearts. As we prepare our hearts for the holidays, God wants us to consider those inside and outside our circles. He wants to consider who we may not particularly enjoy being around or even feel the most comfortable with. That's why I love um, Bob Hess's um, Seeds for D's project called Don't Dine Alone, because he's inviting people to experience God on Thanksgiving. People who may not necessarily have an opportunity to do so. See, God wants us to focus less on who's on the guest list and more about why he invited you. See, we have been blessed to be a blessing. You are who they need to see because you represent the goodness of Jesus. You are the example that God's love is real. And no matter what people bring to the table, there's always room for another. So as we prepare our hearts for the holidays and study the example of Jesus and how he interacted with people, we must consider what he said or our conversation. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 34 says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Ah, conversation, conversation. Okay, so what we say. I think we all need to inhale and exhale for a moment on when we think about the things that, we, that come out of our mouth because, whew, I don't know about you, but this small space right here can do some major damage. The conversations we entertain and initiate can harm. I think if I had to pinpoint one thing or one way to clear a room, it'd be to say the wrong thing. And if I think back to many broken relationships, arguments, fights, conflicts, failed opportunities, it probably had to do with something someone said. And if we aren't careful with what we say, we can cause some major conflict, right? And in the age of Twitter and Facebook and social media, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, all of the platforms, your words are unforgivable. I mean, in seconds, your words not only become captured, but displayed for all the world to see over and over and over again. 
24-7. I like to look at social media like um, the McDonald's drive-thru. It's always open, ready to serve something you're not supposed to eat. (laughs) Now, the words of strangers (laughs) can sting a little bit, but for the most part, you can brush those off. The real issue comes, though, when someone close to you says something. It's the conversations we have with our family. I think the reason why some of you haven't been home in about seven years is because that last conversation with Uncle Todd, ah, it didn't go well. How do we prepare our hearts for those uncomfortable interactions? Those uncomfortable conversations? How do we not absolutely lose it when someone says something so ridiculous at the dinner table? I mean, we all have someone in our family that every time they open their mouth, you want to either retreat or retaliate. Oh, that's just me and my family? Okay, well, y'all pray for me. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) I have someone who I will not say a name in my family that every time They speak, I want to blow a head gasket. They say things that just don't make any sense. They make me so frustrated. They, the way they think, their view of the world, it never fails. Sometimes I wonder, did you really think this conversation was gonna go well? I just don't understand sometimes, it's baffling. And I don't even think they know it. I really think that they think they're having a great, joyous conversation. Now, if that's you, don't say anything. No one will know it's you, okay? <laughs> now, I could avoid them. I really could. I could avoid them. But that's not the Christ way. And plus, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, Christ teaches us that when someone speaks, it's a reflection of what's in their heart. So the question isn't, why would you say that? But rather, "Mm, what's in your heart? See, hospitality at this stage is caring for the hearts of others, even when they can't care for yours. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried Jesus day in and day out. Do y'all know what tried mean? To be tried? Okay, for those of you who don't, to be tried is when someone um, insults you, right? For example, I can laugh about this now. Um, when Will and I first got married, um, we, I met his great aunts at their family conference. Yes, family conference. His family is so big that they don't have family reunions. They have family conferences. (laughs) Seminars, literally. Have a crest, everything. It's it's, it's big. They have a bus. It's (laughs) it's a big family. Did I tell you I was an introvert? I don't know if I told you that. (laughs) So we were sitting, talking, and his great aunts came over. They sat down. They looked at me, and they looked at him, 
and in the most southern way said, buddy, does she cook? <laughs> yeah, they tried it. That's tried it. They just knew, oh, that little thing, she can't cook. It's kind of like shade, except for shade is when you know something about it. They had no clue. They didn't know. And if you see my husband, he has not miss, missed a meal. <laughs> he won't mind me saying that. <laughs> so yes, Jesus was tried on a regular. The Pharisees insulted his character. They questioned his theology and even tried to dispute his connection to the Father. But, Jesus, but did Jesus go off on them? Did he run away and hide? Did he clap back to the style? No. Jesus questioned them right back. He challenged the conditions of their hearts. See, Jesus didn't allow the conditions of other people's hearts to change the condition of his. Neither did he allow their inability to communicate intelligently to shift his ability to do so. See, he connected with people's thoughts and feelings. He understood that some conversations and ideas needed to be connected with existing frames of references if they were to last. He seldom pressed for closure or decision. Instead, he understood that time is required for some ideas to simmer and for people to own them before they can act on them. But he also knew that some people may never understand his train of thought. See, I'm a witness that one of the biggest battles in life is learning to give our hearts and our tongues over to the Holy Spirit. See, we must understand that the power of the tongue, we have to understand that the tongue is a powerful weapon. We must know that words mean things and those things can never be unsaid. When most people who speak to us in hurtful ways, they do so because their hearts are hurting. They have so much sadness and pain and drama, so much unforgiveness and doubt. All their hurt just sometimes becomes target practice for those that are close to them. So how do we protect our hearts? from the conditions of others. Well, just this week, I was reminded that you love them, but you set boundaries. Proverbs chapter 423 says, above all, guard your hearts. I like to look at my words as the clothes my thoughts put on before they go outside in conversations with other people. So I guard my heart by taking the temperature of the hearts of those around me. For instance, if someone seems to have a more heated heart, instead of me adding on layers, I take off a few so it doesn't make it hotter. 
But if someone's heart feels cold and seems chilly, I add on, a, I add on more layers to protect my heart, but also to warm theirs. What I'm saying is as believers, we have been called to be the thermostat, not the thermometer. We set the temperature of the conversation. We don't let the conditions of other people's hearts change the conditions of ours, no matter what the conversation is. We do our very best to speak from a place of love, not from a place of hurt and frustration. And like my granny always said, if you can't say something nice, no, she said you pray until you can. <laughs> not saying something was not an option for her. <laughs> so as we prepare our hearts for the holidays and study the example of Jesus, after we've prepared the guest list, after we've considered our conversation, like my granny said, the next thing we must do is pray. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Family, I think it goes without saying that if we are to get through these holidays, we are going to need to pray. Well, amen, all by myself. We are going to have to pray. And I'm not talking about foo-foo, drive-by, here and there, random, when you think about it, prayer. No. I'm talking about real deal, strategic, strategic, fervent prayer. Prayer is vital to our lives. Praying intentionally gives us the power against the weapons of the enemy. And trust me when I say the enemy is not sitting back, waiting, hoping for the best. No, he has been plotting, he has been planning, he has been strategizing about the perfect connections to destroy the blessing of the unity of God's people. See, Ephesians chapter 6 and 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Do you know what the number one trick of the enemy is? It's offense. The devil's number one weapon to separate God's people is through offense. You see, he knows that if he can offend you, he can stop you from doing God's will. Prayer guards our hearts from that. It's our constant protection against the devil. You see, the enemy checks for that one place where we haven't allowed prayer in. He takes that and puts it with a condition of someone else's heart, wraps it up in poor conversation, and boom, you've got offense and separation. And that leads to the gospel being silenced. But guess what? Tricks aren't going to work this time. Because this time, we're going to pray. And we're going to pray. And we're going to pray some more. And when things get tough, we're going to pray harder. 
And if someone shows up to the holiday dinner that irks your last nerve, you're going to find a secret place and you're going to pray louder. (laughs) And if the conversations about politics and morals and faith and why you're not married and when you're going to have another kid and when you're going to get a job and so on and so on and why you didn't pick that school, when all those conversations start to stir up and your heart starts boiling, you are going to go into the wilderness and you're going to pray that the power of God will come down and reign peace in the atmosphere. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. There is power in the name of Jesus. Matter of fact, my Bible tells me that demons tremble at the name of Jesus. I know there's power in prayer. Prayer changes things. Sometimes it's the situation, but more oftentimes it changes me. Trust me when I say, when you call on the name of God, he will show up. Here's the thing. Jesus makes room for everyone at his table, including everything they bring with them. God wants us to come together. His design was for us to live in relationship with one another. He has made space for all his children at the table, and that includes all of our baggage too. God welcomes it. He doesn't minimize his table Nor does he give VIP seating to some and not others. No. All seats at his table are equal because we are all broken and in need of the love of Jesus Christ. Matthew 11 and 28 through 38, 11, 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus is our example of how we prepare our hearts for the holidays. Because what we're really preparing our hearts for is for deep, interactions with broken people in a broken world looking for hope. There's so much room at the table for our hearts. Your pain, your challenges, your fears, your illnesses, your anger, your desperation, your unforgiveness, the healing that you need, your heart, your mind, and your soul. There's room at the table. Jesus invites you to come to the table. He invites you to sit with him and feel his love. And as you sit at his table and find comfort, others can freely sit at your table and feel that same love and comfort. The sacrifice of Jesus removed all barriers and every obstacle that would keep you from sitting at the Father's table. 
God gave the life of his only son so that he could provide a bigger table. 